Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 173 of the Mandolin's Beer Podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, the Mandolin Cafe. It's also brought to you by Acoustic Disc, and it's March 3rd, so that means Acoustic Disc should be putting out a brand new release here sometime in the next few days, as well as a new Acoustic Encounters podcast. So be sure to uh, go over to Acoustic Disc's website, the link is in the description below, and sign up for their email list. They also send out a free treat every week. That's one song that they send for you to get for free. So check that out. Also brought to you by Grace Design Preamps. Plugged into mine last night. It's actually a guitar gig. I played my first solo acoustic gig in, geez, I think a year and a half almost. It was, uh, it's exhausting. (laughs) My fingers are killing me. And uh, so is my voice. Usually when you play in a duo or a trio, you don't sing the entire three hours, but that was up to me, but I had a really good time at New Realm Brewing, and if uh, you're coming to the Charleston area, I should promote these gigs. I'm terrible at it. Um, uh, every Thursday in March, I'm at New Realm. That is non-mandolin, just a vocal and guitar. Every Saturday and Sunday morning on King Street for the best brunch in downtown Charleston at Prohibition for their bluegrass brunch, and that's a duo. So if you're ever coming to Charleston, those are the dates I'm playing, and I'll probably be plugged in to my Grace Design preamp when you come and see me. So be sure to go to the Grace Design, check them out. All right. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. 173, creeping up there. I forgot to mention last week, too, during the uh, intro for Rodham's Ankle, but the uh, Green Mountain Bluegrass Festival announced their lineup, and it is awesome. I cannot wait to get back there. Uh, it is just an experience I think you really got to check out. It, w- it was a beautiful time, beautiful location. The people who run it are the best. Jill and John Turpin, they do a great job. And this lineup is a great mandolin lineup once again. Cannot wait. Um, it's also Bandcamp Friday today. If you're listening today, March 3rd, when this episode comes out, my guest Grant Gordy, just one of my favorite musicians and just a just a great person as well. Always love catching up with Grant. And he gets some really interesting, he he's, plays with some of the best mandolin players in the world. I mean, he's, he, he was playing with Dog, and he's got Dominic Leslie, Joe K. Walsh, and, and Jacob Jolliffe on uh, his recordings as well. So we talk a bit about that, too. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I'm excited for you to check this out. Speaking of Joe K. Walsh on Peghead Nation, they just released Joe K. Walsh's new swing and jazz mandolin course. You know it's going to be incredible. So you can go there and check it out. The best part is if you go to Peghead Nation and type in the code MANDOBEER, all one word, at checkout, you're going to get your first 30 days for free. So head over to Peghead Nation and check out this new Joe K. Walsh series of lessons. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com or download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. Pava Mandolins, dedicated to the impassioned player, Pava Mandolins in Austin, Texas. If you want to check out some beautiful Pava Mandolins, head over to Elderly Instruments website, elderly.com. Elderly Instruments is your trusted source for new, used, and vintage fretted and stringed instruments. For the experience to beginner player, their vast selection of mandolins, guitars, banjos, ukuleles, and did I say mandolins, includes all of the accessories and books to go with them. All of the instruments are inspected and set up for easy playability, and their down-to-earth and knowledgeable staff are there to help. They're in their 51st year of business. They're family-owned and operated. They ship worldwide, and you can visit them anytime 
at elderly.com and tone slabs slabs of tone these picks are incredible i've been absolutely loving mine i'm a big fan of the 08 the cj lewandowski signature version but if you go to toneslabs.com you can check out all the shapes that they have on their website read all about this incredible process that makes these picks so special and if you know anything again about frank sullivan follow him on his instagram the dude doesn't do anything halfway he goes all out and puts all his time and love into it he's a killer mandolin player so if you want a guy designing a pick that's a pretty good guy to go with i think so check him out for yourself though at toneslabs.com let's get into this episode with grant gordy you guys have yourselves a fantastic week cheers everybody Grant, how are you? I'm well. It's my pleasure to be back. Um, yeah, what a delight. It's a delight to have you back, especially after you made the cover of Acoustic Guitar Magazine. I was like, well, there goes any texts I'm going to send Grant ever again. It's <laughs> oh, funny. Well, I didn't make it. I mean, my picture's on there, but fortunately, I wasn't involved in the actual production. Because <laughs> it would have been uh, written in crayon, you know, with backwards letters and stuff. It's a killer picture, too, man. How? What's it like to to go and, uh, you know, did you have you been to a store or an airport yet where that's like on the cover? Um, no, haven't, haven't seen it out in the wild yet, but I, I admittedly, I did buy some copies. <laughs> I had some copies sent to my home, but, um, no, I haven't seen it, but I have like gotten, you know, uh, people have like texted me or emailed and, and like sent me a picture of it. So that's, that's pretty cool. But yeah. That's exciting. Did, how far in advance did you know that was going to happen? Um, uh, well, actually not that far. Um, I, you know, we, I'd been in touch and did the, did the interview and stuff. And then I only found out later that it was going to be the cover story. So I didn't know, uh, you know, I didn't know how, how it featured it was going to be like, as we were going through the process. So it was, it was definitely a surprise. And it's a great article. It's really, oh, really, cool, really well done. And it really actually, yeah, it got me excited to talk to you about this new album because it really shed some light on the new album, which is why we're talking today. Peripheral That's Visions. That's why we're here. Yeah. yeah peripheral if, Visions, yeah. If you are listening to this today, um, the day this episode comes out, the album is available today. If you're listening to this at all, the album has been out. And <laughs> it is so great, buddy. Um, man. Oh, thank you, Dan. I um I got to be honest, it took me a week to listen to it because I was super nervous because I love that first solo album you did like it is one of my all-time favorite albums that i was like boy i hope it's uh like nervous to listen to this and just instantly in love with it man thank you so much i mean it's yeah i mean you know and it took uh 13 years you know to follow up to the first one i mean i've done other stuff in the interim as you know but but as far as like revisiting that first band, you know, the sort of that that aesthetic with um, you know, kind of string band thing, all original compositions, and, and I, you know, this kind of particular 
musical relationship that an affinity that I feel like with Dom and Aunt Dominic Leslie and Alex Hargraves and Aiden O'Donnell, the bassist. Um, it's a thing we just hadn't really explored in years and, and, and certainly hadn't recorded in over a decade. Um, and so I was a little nervous too, you know, cause I, I think, man, you know, that first record, uh, you know that's it. Every, everything is a snapshot a snapshot of its time right where you you know you're reflecting what you're into and how old you are at the time what you're thinking about and all that stuff and at that time you know i was in what kind of my like mid 20s and i was you know i, I remember feeling strongly like i want to make a, a, a new acoustic music statement right i was like so you know feeling such the imprint you know, as as certainly as I still do, but but really feeling the imprint of of the kind of feely music and the Grisman stuff and Daryl, of course, and Tony and and wanting to kind of contribute something to that conversation that 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 they had those figures had started those people that I looked up to so much and and anyway coming back to this on this same ensemble, but then all these years later, I kind of felt like I had. You know, I've developed in my own musical path over the years, and I feel like I've really come into my own thing that that has has, you know, it's kind of it's developed since that time. And so I didn't know, like, well, man, maybe it's going to be so different from the first thing. People aren't going to like it, or it's going to be like less exciting somehow. Or, you know, so so yeah, I I also felt some trepidation, like who knows. Who knows what this is going to be like? <laughs> well, you also have the rarity of that first album is killer. Not everybody's first album or first attempt at recording an album is is really good right off the bat. You know, it takes time to be like, oh yeah. I mean, that album is a stunner. Man, so, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. That. And you know what's really cool about this album? I think is this re this album really kind of takes. It's like a great mix of new acoustic. And then jazz and so all these things that you've been exploring. I mean, I think from listening to your other offerings, I think it's a perfect mesh of of kind of a multiple different worlds and, and putting even more of you in it than your first album, which I, probably sounds a little weird to say, but I think you have more of an identity even on this new album. I, I agree, man. I think that you kind of hit the nail on the head. That's and, and I, you know, I mean, um. Yeah, you know, it takes it takes time to sort of come into one's own voice as a player, or certainly it has for me, you know, and I think I was I'm I'm definitely like a slow learner, a slow digester. Um and you know, it's uh I think it you know, at that time, uh well for example, on the very technical level, uh at the time that I made the first record, like most kind of modern bluegrass and bluegrass adjacent guitarists, I was playing a dreadnought, you know, on that record, I, on the first record, I played my callings. Uh, D, it's not a, it's not a, a D1, I guess it is, which is like a D18. Um, so I played a big dreadnought guitar on that, on that record. And in the interim, I had, you know, since kind of exclusively switched over to smaller guitars, you know, and I've been playing triplos now for, for a decade. And I realized like that's my sound, you know. That's that sounds like me, and I, I'm not really, I'm not trying to like wrangle my sound into the the kind of bandwidth of what a dreadnought does, 
um, you know, and when I pick up my triplo, like that feels like my voice. It took me time to um, arrive at that, and it, it took time to develop some of these pieces that, that were on the record. It took time to, um, you know, some of the pieces being, uh, a couple of things had been kind of sitting around as like fragments of ideas for, for years and years and just needed the right venue, you know, or the, or the right vehicle to to find like, you know, a finished state and find a presentation. Um, so just, you know, things take time. And fortunately, uh, there was, uh, um, well, I shouldn't say fortunately, because I think one reason it was able to happen finally is the pandemic happened and everybody had t a little bit of time um, to kind of stop and, and assess things. And something about that time made me realize, like, I, I really, I've been talking about making another record with this band. People have asked, when are you going to make another record with those guys? Um, and it, I just felt like, okay, now's the time. And then you also had another big motivation in this is that Ron Miles album, Rainbow Sign, played a big yeah. part of an inspiration in this. And I'd love to talk to you a little bit about that. I'm so glad you bring that up. Yeah, and I've, I've been uh, I've, I've been making a lot of noise about that because it's just, it's one of those records that um you know we just have things that strike us right and are so meaningful and might even you know if we're practitioners of music might even provide some kind of like inspiration or or, or template in some sense um i certainly felt that way about grisman's music in general you know the, that era of kind of writing those that first batch of tunes and so we take, you know, we take influence from from everything around us all the time, and and particularly the last couple of years, um, this I, I, you know, I've been a fan of Ron Miles's music for for a lot of years, and this particular one, Rainbow Sign, uh, which came out on Blue Note, oh twenty, I want to say twenty nineteen maybe. Um, so it's fairly recent. And uh, great band is Brian Blade on drums, Thomas Morgan on bass, um, Bill Frizzell on guitar, and Jason Moran on piano. And you know you might hear that and Ron, of course, being a flugelhorn uh, and cornet and trumpet player, you might think, oh, it's a jazz group. It's going to be jazz or bebop or you know. But Ron's Ron's. Um, compositional style is so like expansive and and i mean yeah you might generally kind of loosely associate it with the idea of jazz but but um there's just just like this incredible like textural palette that they're working with all the time in in the in the 
kind of vehicle of these tunes that he writes and there's this incredible be like these mercurial moments of, of like sliding between somebody improvising and then going into like a through composed melody line and and just like the um and there's so much space in the music and it's it's like certainly like harmonically dense but it's not like frenetic it's just like and um it's just like this incredible version of ensemble playing uh in in the context of like compositions that are already like really great you know really really great music that don't need great interpretation to already be good but their incredible interpretation just does you know takes it to that kind of higher of a level for me anyway as a listener so i i just just found that music so inspiring i mean i listen to lots of music all the time but that really struck me and i remember thinking as i was kind of getting ready to you know, I was finishing these arrangements and getting ready to go in the studio. I remember thinking like, man, I would like to, how can we try to like emulate the way they're interpreting this music as a, as a string band, you know, in a context with no drummer, in a context with, you know, we're providing all the rhythm and yet, you know, we're trying to play, you know, maybe some like ensemble, like counterpoint lines, you know, and how do like, how do we support, you know, rhythmic movement and whatever like harmony and counterpoint with only four voices which is hard you know just arrangement wise it's not it's not easy i feel like i'm kind of rambling no <laughs> this is great this is no what this all brings to mind no this is please do this is fantastic <laughs> thanks yeah um yeah it's uh so it's you know just you know all all all, all of us kind of modern like acoustic practitioners you know or at least people when we when we do this kind of music you know we're all taking in all these different styles of music and all these different inspirations and influences and you know sometimes you kind of run into this slightly thorny problem of like how do i how do i express something in a way that feels earnest and genuine but maybe isn't like all the roles that, you know, maybe, maybe isn't like expressing all the roles that these instruments naturally tend to express, you know, like I remember David Grisman saying like how a bluegrass, a bluegrass band is like this perfect ensemble in its own way. Like everybody kind of has a role and you kind of get it. Everybody's got their, their job that they do. And it, and it becomes this, this cog or everybody's a cog in this machine. Right. And you hear that when you listen to a good bluegrass band, it's like everybody, you know, everybody's providing rhythm and harmony and, and, and it's just this kind of perfect ensemble. And so those are the jobs generally, we're just talking about bluegrass. Like those are jobs that those instruments do. And so if you're trying to do something that kind of sits outside of that, those prescribed roles, you know, how do you do that in a way that feels like honest and not like you're self-consciously trying to do something different, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's why I love these particular musicians so much. And I feel the same way with Mr. Sun, with Daryl and Joe Walsh and Aiden, you know, like we, we have a pretty good chemistry and we can kind of create interesting textures, you know, and kind of take influence from different kinds of like, 
rhythm and and sort of harmonic spaces and and i certainly feel that with with aiden and alex and dominic that like i, I think we're all really interested in like space and improvisation and i think even though we all haven't gotten to play together as an ensemble for quite some time now i think there's a lot of trust there that we we can kind of create something interesting based on just you know our shared like understanding and our shared chemistry and i don't know i don't know if that makes sense absolutely well i mean the first song i believe bridge and tunnel has some really cool interplay taken or, or you know it's almost like things being said it's very conversational the way the instruments play off each other and that's that definitely seems like something that you wouldn't necessarily have with someone you have zero experience with yeah i mean sometimes you luck into it you know sometimes you find yourself in a, in a great like a surprisingly great jam session kind of situation and that, that certainly that happens and that's a beautiful that's a beautiful thing and um and you know sometimes you have like long relationship relationships with people you know that you can you know that there's sort of there's just and it's it's not even like a specific thing that you can articulate that you can fall back on but it's just like just the bond that you have you know you can kind of fall back on that and kind of make make something work you know and so there's just like there's just a trust there and i think to me i mean as i go along i'm realizing or sort of an observation I've had in like noticing the great players that I look up to, or like I'll listen to these recordings. I remember listening to this recording of Chick Corea playing Autumn Leaves with his band with Patitucci on bass. And I can't remember if it was, it was Brian Blade or somebody else playing drums. And they do this thing where Chick takes this like amazing, you know, just amazing, obviously, Chick Corea solo. Um, and then Patitucci takes a solo and somehow during the course of Tatsuchi's solo, they just kind of like leave the form. And at least to me, it seems fairly clear that they're not, they didn't agree like, okay, now we're going to leave the form and we're going to like count our way back in or something. It just happened. And I think that how that played out, or at least, you know, my guess is how that played out is, it just felt like that was an option and they all trusted each other and trusted themselves that they could find their way back to the tune, which they did. And, and I think there was, it was like a kind of a big lesson for me that it's like, yes, they're all great. And that's, we take that for granted that that's like, that's what you got to do. You got to get that good on your instrument if you want to be that good. And I, that's obviously true. But I think part of what makes Chick Corea Chick Corea is just that he has that trust and confidence that it'll, it's going to happen, you know, and it's okay. And, and that's been a thing that I've just been thinking about that a lot. It's like, if you can, if I can kind of let go of that worry that like, I got to keep something together or else things are going to fall apart. 
and just kind of let it happen. Like, of course, you got to learn the music and you got to know how to play the changes and all that stuff and play in time. But barring all that kind of technical stuff, like there's a great sort of freedom and just like just trusting that something, you know, something is going to happen. And even if you leave the form and go out of time or whatever, it's okay. You know, some, something cool can still come out of that. Something even more surprising might come out of that. Would you also say that it's probably easier to be a little bit more vulnerable as a player too in front of those people? Because if it does, if it doesn't work, it's, it's people you've have a musical relationship and they realize it's not because you can't do it. It's just, you guys just took chances and that's the beauty yeah. of being a musician. Let's try it again. Exactly. And sometimes things do fall apart. And like sometimes you go for something, and it and it and it's weird. It doesn't work. And and when you're with people that you trust, and this is also just true of life, right? Like you're with people that you trust. Um, maybe you're slightly less worried about like making a fool out of yourself, and that's okay, you know. And um. And, you know, something, maybe something falls apart, and then you just laugh, and it's okay. Because it's just music, too, you know? Nobody's getting hurt. <laughs> right, right. Did you guys rehearse much ahead of this? Kind of. I mean, we had, you know, so Dominic, of course, lives in Nashville. So we we didn't have endless time, you know, because I had to fly him in, and, and I'm sure... Um, this was before Alex had the Billy Strings gig, I think. So, but I'm sure he was still quite busy. Um, so you know, everybody was everybody was busy with different stuff. But that aside, even you know, just you know, Alex. I'm mean, I'm sorry, Dom. Uh, Dom doesn't live in New York anymore. So, so we needed to really like make make use of the precious time that we had. And I, I, I tried to send, you know, demos and charts of everything to everybody um, as, as far in advance as possible. Um, and then I think we had, oh, I can't remember, two or maybe three days of rehearsal before we went in for the session, which even then is kind of a luxury because sometimes you'd have no rehearsal and you'd have to go in and try it. Um, but yeah, fortunately, everybody was able to set aside the time, and you know, and some of the pieces were were not totally done, you know, when we started working on stuff, and so we were kind of a couple of things. I think that the tune to Ron at at the end of the record, you know, that one was was uh, I think we finished arranging it kind of while we were recording, you know, like we we didn't have a set. Um, a set game plan really until we're actually tracking the tune and, and sometimes it takes that long to kind of come together you know and that's okay this album and that uh, and the ron miles thought mm. process man that's the one of the first things i thought about when listening to the album was just like how airy and spacious it sounds 
Um, wow, you, you know, which is just, it's beautiful. Thanks, man. Yeah. I mean, that was, you know, I don't, I don't think uh, acoustic music will ever be done a disservice by more space being added, <laughs> especially <laughs> right. like instrumental, you know, instrumental kind of new acoustic -y stuff. Um, you know, the, it's, it's, it's easy to play a lot of notes kind of, you know, um, and it's easy to, to, and that's that trusting. And I think that there's like, you know, the, the first, the first thing I certainly notice this for myself, the, if, if I feel like unsure about where things are going, especially if I'm taking a solo, like the first thing that I'm going to do is probably play more to kind of like ground myself and like, you know, sort of, you know, say, okay, I know I'm here. Like, Make sure I make sure I'm playing on all the downbeats, so I know where the one is and all you know, where that you know. Um, but I think that you know the, a way that that for me that trust kind of manifests um, is just that ability to just feel feel like I'm you know I, I have a sense of where where the time is and where I am in relation to it, even if I'm not playing all the time. You know, I love your accompaniment back at um, just the background guitar parts even you know when when the guitar is quote unquote not the focus you know when somebody other mm. some other people are soloing it just you you, you just have you create such cool movement man mm, which is you. great and i just i just interviewed rodham zinkel and so i literally just said that to him too because it's he's the rare mandolin player that can move around and it doesn't affect it and i talking about that having it on my mind and then just listening to something i'm like man just what cool chord voicings, movement, you know, all these things to create that. That and and it never interferes with the space. Mm, man, thank you. Thanks for saying that. I mean, uh, that's the goal, you know. And I think that um, I, I, mean, I, def I definitely feel like, you know, I don't feel like I'm ever going to be the most amazing like guitar solo taker. <laughs> um, and there's plenty, you know, there's plenty of people that do that really well and, and certainly in the bluegrass world there's plenty of shredders and um uh but i've always felt like really drawn to comping um and i just really like that feeling you know you're creating something together right it's like it's it's so it's so about being interactive which doesn't necessarily mean you know playing in an interactive way does not necessarily mean you know somebody goes and then you got to go back at them you know like look i'm listening can't you see i'm listening to you <laughs> you know that's not necessarily you know always the the best response <laughs> to, like, or whatever you know there's a bunch of you know there's a, always a bunch of options but but it's, it's just to me that's just so fun like the that aspect of just how to create how to create like interesting support you know and how to think kind of think about harmony and maybe a more fluid way you know rather than just like oh here's this block of notes that makes a chord and then it's the next chord better go to this other block of notes based on this <laughs> other shape that i know right like right um anyway so thanks for noticing that that's definitely a big value for me it's just that yeah just trying to be be a good comper. Yeah, well, you're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. What, um, do you name these tunes at the time of writing? Uh, I, I love some of the names of some of the songs, and especially with instrumental tunes, like I always find it intriguing, the 
the names of some of the songs. So I was wondering if maybe you could just, uh, you know, like like Mobius, for instance. It's, it's an interesting, sometimes fraught process. And sometimes it kind of just, you know, things kind of reveal themselves. It's always a little bit different. But like that tune, I think, uh, I think that, that name kind of revealed itself as I was writing it. Because I think sort of the conceit with that one was like I wanted to have this tune that was like very diatonic, right? It's like super D major. Um, and so hopefully like fairly like pretty in its diatonicness but i also wanted to feel kind of um a little bit opaque like rhythmically where you you weren't weren't always sure like maybe even what time signature it was in or like where the downbeat is or like how long the form is and that kind of stuff which actually it's a 32 bar form so it's it's, a, it's an even you know an even form but but i wanted to feel like this kind of like looping like endless thing where you could almost like pick it up at any point and and start there right which like i'm not a mathematician so i don't actually understand like <laughs> what the importance of a mobius strip is but i've seen pictures of them, <laughs> and I've heard of them so I thought, like, well, okay. seems like it might be related but any mathematicians out there feel free to contradict me because i don't actually know what i'm talking about <laughs> but yeah, or like um, espionage. I think that was one where that was that one actually that uh, had been sort of gestating for like years and years, and it didn't like it was just kind of waiting for the right time to sort of come out in finished in finished form. like a couple years ago or, or or at some point I, I just like that title struck me like oh yeah that's the right title for that tune like that's what that is expressing so sometimes it, you just kind of find a title that feels really appropriate and just like yeah that that kind of suits you know whatever the vibe is it's being expressed there and then sometimes it's it's harder or or if tunes just you know it feels like the, the title doesn't really fit that well, but you're just kind of stuck with it. Cause that's what, <laughs> you know, that's what's on, that's what's on the chart. <laughs> Cause that's what's on the chart. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Which one of these for you, did you feel the most, I don't know if uncomfortable uh, would be the right word, but maybe um, you're like, wow, this, this might work. This might not work, but let's, let's give it a shot. Musically. Mm -hmm. That's a good question. Um, you know, I think, 
Well, I guess I have sort of a couple answers to that. One, the the first most obvious one to me is is the tune to Ron, because I it was one of those ones that didn't have a really clear form. Like sometimes it's like, okay, I've got an A section and I got a B section, or maybe I've got like what really this sounds like a B section, so I need to write an A section, or or like you know what I mean, like and these these kind of you know divisions of 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 the of the form of a tune like kind of reveal themselves and it's, it's clear like okay that's i know what that's supposed to be like but with this i kind of like had this this melody and this kind of set of chord changes that i thought was was nice and then i had kind of this other bit that was in the same key more or less that I, that was like on a voice memo on my phone i thought well maybe i could use that as like a bridge but i just didn't really know how it all fit together and so i felt like like I said, I mean, we kind of finished writing it in the studio and, and it was, it just, it felt like a bit of a question mark, you know, and I wanted it to be sort of like this, you know, fairly like sentimental um, uh, gesture, but, but at the same time, it felt like, well, is this even going to be like a completed tune? So I just didn't know if it was going to work. I didn't, like, it wasn't clear is like, should there be a solo section? What are we going to solo over? Like um and so so that one uh yeah that one i just i never felt like um okay i know exactly how this is supposed to go down and then it, and then it felt like we made we made it work all of those unsureties <laughs> notwithstanding i think we, we made something out of it and then i guess the other thing would be the tune cloud of witnesses which is like i'm really glad it's on the record i think it's um basically what it is is like just a little a short like through composed piece right there's no solos or anything but what we ended up doing in rehearsal was deciding to proceed the through composed piece with just playing free and um and that i didn't re i didn't have that in mind at all like as we were um um like as as we were leading up to the session or anything In fact, I, I, the working title for for that tune was like intro because I thought it was going to be the intro to something else. <laughs> um, but instead, it ended up being its own, you know, standalone thing. Which, yeah, which was kind of preceded by um, by this kind of, you know, somewhat like intense, like chaotic, free thing. Which, like, I'm actually really happy with. And it's kind of like it's not always really comfortable to listen to the free part because it's it's quite like atonal and um but i'm actually really pleased because i feel like it all it's almost like if you can much like life like if you can get through the hard part it sort of rewards you with like with a, i think a part that's like pretty beautiful you know so i'm actually really pleased with how that came out you should be pleased with that analogy too that's perfect <laughs> <laughs> How many how many days then did you spend in the studio after rehearsing? I think we had four days booked, um, and then 
if I recall, we got pretty much everything done in three. And then I think we maybe had like one tune left on the fourth day or maybe just like a couple fixes or something like that. I remember we actually went home early on the last day. Wow. Yeah. So it happened, you know, pretty, pretty fast. And, um, you know, you can get a lot done in the day. And if we had kind of full days booked and I mean, I usually plan on an average of like, like three tunes a day is a pretty safe, pretty safe average. Um, but, uh, and I, I don't remember exactly what our, what our speed was, but, but yeah, we pretty much, pretty much got it done in, in, you know, three point two days or something. <laughs> Ballpark. <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit about you, you've got an embarrassment of riches with uh mandolin players in your circle <laughs> i do i've been really lucky yeah you know we've uh, mentioned i mean dominic leslie on this album uh just crushes it and plays i mean just i've been fortunate to see dominic play a few times last year um and uh just he's so good and uh, this recording seems to fit his style super well, you know? That's nice to hear. That's nice to hear. But I have to ask, if you could find three differences, because I think the three similarities between Joe, Jake, and Dominic are pretty much, they're all amazing players at what they do. (laughs) But what would be the three biggest differences between Joe, Jacob, and Dominic in your eyes? Man, you know, that's interesting. Like, that's really interesting. I mean... There's a thing, like Joe and I, I've probably played more with Joe than I have with anybody at this point. I think that's safe to say. So we've, you know, we've really put in a lot of time um, over the last, you know, decade plus. Um, you know, we, we've, we've played a lot of gigs together and done a lot of stuff. And what I love about playing with Joe I mean, among other other things, is I think we actually feel time a little bit differently, and what happens, and and it's not it's not about like there's no objectivity here. It's just it's just I think you know it's just people is like how people have different color eyes or whatever. You know, I think we just where we feel groove is just a little bit different, and what that does it creates like a really cool tension between us. And it's not bad tension, it's really good tension. It's like a certain kind of rub that I think creates like a really exciting, like rhythmic, rhythmic drive. Whether we're both comping or one of us is soloing, one of us, you know. And so there's this way that we like that we settle in with each other that like is just so I mean it's it's easy because we've done it so much. Um, but there's like a, there's a a snap to it or like a spark to it. That's like, to me, it's like, it's like the kind of, you know, it's like sparks when, when, when you like grind things together, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just, just that little bit of like a rub and just, I feel like where we feel the pocket is just a little bit different, but in a cool, in a really cool way. Um, and I love that. And it's really exciting. And I think the difference with, with, particularly between him and Dom is I think, to me, it feels like Dom and I feel the pocket kind of in the same place. Um, and so there's like a, a naturalness 
when we play together. And again, like we don't really get to play together that much, you know, but we have been playing together for a very long time at this point. Like he started, you know, when I very first started like writing tunes and I put a little band together in Denver, um, he, you know, he used to come over after high school and like come to rehearsals at my apartment, <laughs> you know? So like we, we go way back and, and, um, and there's just like, you know, and he was like, he was like the first person he, you know, he and, and my friends, Adam and Ian were the first people to ever like learn my tunes and kind of work on, work on that music, learn tunes like channel one and pterodactyl and like, and, and so there's like a, you know, a longstanding like imprint, I think that we have together. And also just like our, to some degree, I just feel like our sort of natural, like the way we feel time is just, you know, just, just very, um, it's like kind of putting on a, a really good old well-made pair of shoes, you know, that just like, they just feel great, you know? Um, and it feels great with Joe too, but just in a different way. Um, and with Jake, you know, Jake is like, Jake is just such a, he's just such a virtuoso, you know, that I, <laughs> like I often feel like, you know, I mean, I I'm often just like technically, I feel like I'm just barely keeping up, you know, cause he's just, he's just so, and it's, you know, it's not, this is not like in a competitive way, but he's just like, there's just like so much music coming out of him all the time. So it's like, you know, uh, it's like, uh, it's what is it? I think he, somebody described him as like, like Ronnie McCurry and Clifford Brown or something. <laughs> like, you, know, it's like, you know what I mean? It's like, cause yeah. he's, he's got that just like, yeah, clearly that like Ronnie kind of, you know, thing. I mean, that's an interesting thing too. Like between the three of them, when I think of like the closest, kind of model for their respective styles. I kind of instantly think like, well, I hear a lot of like Flinner in Joe and I hear a lot of, you know, a lot of that kind of er like early, clear like early feely imprint in Dom, even though Dom obviously has gone on to really sound like himself. And I hear a lot of that Ronnie sound in, in Jake. And um, I don't know, that, that's just, I don't know, that's just kind of how it goes. Yeah, I think those are all straight on uh, analysis and like literally just the the very first track again when it starts off and Dom's just got that kind of little feel going just, you know, on the street. Jesus, man. It's just you're just like, yeah, it, do, it does seem like uh, when you said the old uh, old pair of shoes, that's kind of how I felt like, ah, yeah, I'm going to love this album. He's just so like, yeah, he just feels he just feels so good and the thing about dom too that i love so much is like you know i mean i i have the sense like with jake like jake clearly spends a lot of time like transcribing you know transcribing like um whatever cannonball and and like you know he learns a lot of like bebop heads and he's like and i love that because we you know we get to play all these tunes together so he knows a lot of tunes um and i like he's like clearly invested in like really studying like jazz vocabulary which i don't i mean i think dom has done some of that and i know joe's done some of that too but i think jake is definitely that the the outlier in terms of like dedication to really studying that that vocabulary that dialect um and to me dom is like 
he's just like a natural improviser and you don't really it's not like he's playing he's just playing like dom and like there's so much like dynamism in what he plays and like you can hear a little like little sort of references to to things you know um but but it's so it's just so him you know and it's he's such a he's 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 just ended up having such an original voice and just like like i said just so dynamic you know like such a range of of expression and and like you know he'll sometimes like play you know play with this really kind of like full like rich like every note is like a gold coin like grisman kind of thing and then sometimes they'll like play really close to the bridge and it's kind of like jarring and slightly humorous and like you know i mean there's just so much just so much range of expression and and then uh and then uh and then his groove is just like always just so locked in you know just it just just the groove is always so is always so present you know and same thing with joe i mean with joe it's just like there's just so much like fun and responsiveness in what he plays that i love i mean it's just like you know everybody whenever we do a mr sun gig like somebody always comes up afterwards it's just like oh, you guys just you're just like looking like you're having so much fun playing together and it's true like it's not an affectation it's just like he's so like present with what everybody's doing and so responsive all the time. Um, yeah. Like you said, it's an embarrassment of riches. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty incredible, man. And, and going back to Dom's um, uh, rhythm, he's, uh, he's like a, a world music section of a, that's how I get that vibe from him too. Sometimes like, when mm. I, and I, and I just probably cause I saw him do a thing on like some sort of world music rhythms, but like he really does have like cool. this, this like, interconnection to a different uh rhythm you know what i mean like kind of like sam bush yeah in a he's sense. got like, a broad palette yeah 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 we went to india together you know his wife phoebe um organized this trip of a bunch of musicians she i think she wanted to go study with this violinist kala ramnath and kala said to her like well you should just come to india sometime and like hang out and study and she's like yeah i'd like to do that well why don't i like see if i could sort of organize a little kind of like retreat camp kind of thing and so she ended up getting i think there was like 10 friends who all uh, this wasn't by design but we all happened to live in new york at the time so she's like 10 musicians from brooklyn like went and hung out at this ashram for a couple a week and a half or something like that and uh and you know it was kind of this crash course in like indian classical music with this woman kala and she taught us about like t highs which is that like rhythmic calculation thing where you, and uh you know and, and and like about all these different like obviously the different ragas and scales and all that all that stuff and and i definitely you know i think dom was like pretty tuned in to that stuff you know and and clearly yeah clearly is like a omnivorous listener has checked out a lot you know he's turned me on to a lot of cool you know cool stuff and, and i remember like kind of geeking out to that like early um shakti with john mclaughlin like those records we used to listen to that stuff together a lot back in in like the early days of uh playing together so he's been tuned into to i mean obviously his heart is clearly in bluegrass grew up going to rocky grass every summer of his life and you know it's just that that's definitely his home, but he's been like a 
uh, an intrepid explorer, you know, for, for a long time. Yeah. I mean, all three of those guys, man, again, just, you know, that's, that's yeah, what inspires absolutely. me about the mandolin and a big basis of this podcast is like, there's just so many avenues to explore that are, that I think, you know, the mandolin and acoustic guitar, I mean, get pigeonholed into, you know, you see it and you just assume, Oh, folk guy, singer songwriter, or, you know, a right. bluegrass yeah. guy, you know, going to play in B all night, but there's so many things out there, you know? So yeah, the mandolin world is so deep. There's so much like, man, like, you know, I was thinking like, I really, I, I really want to hear more like Katarina, you know, just like that whole thing. Yeah. Whoa. So, like that's a whole other like deep world. that's like so unconnected to bluegrass and all that thing. Like, and virtuosic. Holy And so moly. virtuosic, yeah. Yeah. Whew. Goodness. Well, man, so, and, and before we started this podcast, this is this album's being put out by Grant Gordy. There's no label behind this. And already there's people supporting it on Bandcamp. Is that the best place for people to go if they want to purchase a copy of this album? Is that best way to go for yes. you? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, Bandcamp is, is great. It's the best platform for actually like supporting musicians musicians and, and their recorded music because um it's um yeah it's a place where you can actually support musicians and, music <laughs> right, right. and i think it's you know i think we're generally around the same age and i think we we both can relate to the shift that we've seen happen where you know when i was growing up I mean, music was the thing you bought, you know, and I think it's becoming more and more normalized that it's, it's not a thing that you pay for anymore, which, I mean, I'm not like trying to tilt at windmills or anything, but, <laughs> you know, I think that if, you know, I, I, well, let me put it this way. Like I, I try to support, um, support people's recorded music as much as I feel like I can, um, and I very much appreciate when other people do that too. And, and it'll be, uh, it'll be out on all the streaming services, uh, later in, uh, I think March 24th. So just, just a couple weeks and then it'll be out and free and everything. Um, but, but, but for now, you know, if you want to be supportive or if you want to buy a vinyl record, which are, I don't have them yet, but they're coming. Um, that's also possible. And, oh, I should mention too, the, the Bandcamp version, even the the download well the download only version actually the bandcamp download version is uh it has two uh kind of bonus tracks that are not on streaming platforms or on the cd or on the lp so if you want to hear those two extra tracks uh bandcamp is is the way to go and again well music isn't free to make or i should say i should say that differently yeah it's not music is not free to make and that's the thing you know like we it's it's streamed and that becomes that becomes uh an issue but if like we want all of our favorite musicians to continue putting music out i mean i think for some artists that are have been lucky enough to to um you know reap the benefits of putting out albums when people you know generally bought them and i'm not poo-pooing streaming i have you know subscriptions to all the streaming services of course we all use it yeah Yeah, but you know i do buy anything i love if i hear it even if i never even put it on my computer which i just you know i I just i want to give a little bit back and be like it's 10 or 15 dollars and it's going to make a it makes a world of difference for the artist it does yeah you know it's like and i you know uh 
putting a record out is is um it's certainly a labor of love and it's a lot of even without hiring a publicist or whatever other ancillary things you know it's it's a big it's a big undertaking and i'm not expecting that i will recoup you know my costs from from sales on bandcamp but that's you know that's okay that's not the point you know it's more of a gesture like you know if if it feels important to support then you can support it and um you know i like i'm making the decision to choose to spend my money on making a record instead of well there's not really anything else i would want to buy anyway <laughs> instead of paying my rent maybe <laughs> oh my gosh well it's a it's such a great album man and and you just you inspire me talking to you inspires me i'm just like writing notes even though this is recorded of like you know stuff to check out or things you said and and, um, oh, thanks so much. I love the album. I, I really do. And I seriously was nervous to listen to it. That's a true story. <laughs> Just because I love that first I album hope it so subsided. much. subsided. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I'm, I'm fine. I'm right in the groove of it. It's like a it's like a nice worn in pair of shoes to go back to. Oh, a. Uh, it really is. It's a, it's a great listen, man. So and um, and so I did much. listen to that. Uh, actually, I listened to the Ron Miles album twice last night um, nice. in prep for this. I'm like, wow. Yeah, it's pretty it's, heavy. It's a great album. So. Yeah. Well, dude, thank you so much for doing the podcast and taking the time, man. Man, thank you for taking the time. It's such a such a pleasure to get to talk to you. All right, there you go. Grant Gordy, such a great guy, man. The The album is fantastic. If you're listening today, March 3rd, it's Bandcamp Friday, so go out and support any of your favorite artists. It makes a huge difference to them, and, uh, and we can keep enjoying all this incredible music out there. All right, everybody have a fantastic weekend. Cheers, everybody.